this morning that uh, the Lord will speak to us uh, from His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, we're grateful to know that as a Christian, uh, we have that, that we commune with God and that we know God and we know that God is near. And that is a blessing uh, for the people and for the family of God. Uh, this morning, I want us to uh, take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs 31. Uh, that's a, probably a shocker, isn't it, Mother's Day, Proverbs 31? We'll go to verse 30, and that's going to be uh, kind of the beginning part. And uh, there are no services this evening, and it's May the 14th. And so I decided that since there are no services this evening, and that it was May the 14th, I would take this time to talk about 14 different godly moms through the word. And I'm being serious. So anyway, uh, it'll be all right. I trust that uh, the Lord will uh, speak to you and uh, bless you. And I know you're thinking, how in the world is he going to spend that much time on one verse? Well, I'm not going to just spend that much time on one verse. This is Mother's Day. We celebrate mothers here. Uh, we thank God and praise God for that. Um, what a blessing you are. What an impact you're having. Uh, just a testimony as we see uh, children coming to know the Lord. Uh, that is a testimony uh, to parents, to godly parents, but to moms, to, to nurturing moms, to moms who love and pray for their children. So I want us to stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Scripture teaches us this morning, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We're grateful for the privilege that we have. Now, God, uh, guide and direct us this morning that we would be uh, obedient, that, Lord, we would be submissive in all things to your will. Uh, Lord, help us to be of a spirit this morning that is teachable, that, Lord, we would desire to know you and to be used by you. Again, Lord, we thank you for a day that we recognize this beautiful gift that you give to us in moms. And, Lord, I pray that you would help them this morning to understand the, the, the amazing influence that they have and the blessing that they are to so many of us, certainly their children and their husbands. Lord, have your way in every heart, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. And we will begin. The Bible does say that charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord... That is the woman that will be praised. And when we look in the Word of God, and as we are going to look on uh, the pages of Scripture this morning at different moms, and a lot of this I'll kind of summarize so that I don't lose you in all of the flipping back and forth. There's a few places that we'll kind of hone in on. But the reality is, like life. See, the wonderful thing about the Word of God is it does not hide from us life and the dysfunction and the drama that takes place in a family. And if, if you don't have those things that go on in your family, please talk to me afterward. I could glean from your life uh, immensely, trust me. Uh, 
You know, we could co-author a book together. As a matter of fact, I would just write the preface and you write the rest and we could both get credit for it. But, you know, I need to talk to you because life is lived in a way that it is a lot of ups and downs and struggles and, and raising uh, children and parenting children. And um, the Bible doesn't shy away from that. You open up the Word of God and you begin to read from cover to cover and you find humanity the way it is. It is on display. The good, the bad, the ugly, it does not shy away from all of the things that go on in a given society. And we are in that today. Our world doesn't change. Sinful men still do sinful things. Uh, And the Bible never shies away from that. And so when we look at the Scripture this morning and we look into the lives of these individuals, we see some very good things. We see some not so good things. And those are things that every mom in here uh, can learn. And, And you can at least draw or take this away from it. There is no perfect mom. Nobody is nailing it 100% every day. That's impossible. And... When we look at Scripture, we gotta, we got to look at the, the big picture, down the road. Um, there's a lot of ways, if you want to go to Atlanta, there's a lot of ways to get to Atlanta, okay? You don't, you don't have to take the interstate, you know? You, if you want to take the back roads, there's 41, there's 19, you, you can shoot up 129 for a ways, and there's a lot of ways to get to Atlanta, but... You have to be headed, though, in the right direction. You have to go north, right? No matter how hard you try, if you're headed south, you're not going to run to Atlanta, right? If you're going due east, you're you're going to hit the salt water before you ever find Atlanta. But if you're headed north and you're oriented that way, you can get there. And that's kind of the point I have in mind when we look at this. Are you headed in the right direction? Are you, are, are you parenting in the right direction? Well, we see that in the pages of Scripture, that is the focus. They don't always get it right, but they're moving in that direction. Well, when we look at the Word of God, the very first mom is Eve. And a lot of people, when they think of Eve, they don't think of being the mom. They think of this is, this is the girl that took the, the, the fruit, and we've been... Uh, suffering ever since. But you know, Eve was a mom. And she had many, many more sons and daughters than, uh, than just the ones that we are familiar with. Uh, certainly the sons, uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, they, she, her and Adam had many more children. And despite the consequences of her choice, and which every mom in here can certainly glean that from Eve's life, that there are consequences to the decisions and the choices that you make. But, but Eve didn't just make one bad decision. Matter of fact, she probably made many bad decisions. But you know what? She also made some good decisions. And when we look at the life of Eve, and we just kind of follow the heritage down, despite all of the, 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 the bad things that are going on in the family, uh, you know, Cain is going to kill his brother. That's, that's horrific. Those things happen in our culture today. She experienced those things. But something else happened too. In the process of understanding sin and God showing them now that because of sin, blood has to be shed uh, for the turning away of sin and that being from that point on through the Old Testament, we see that. They began to practice that. And you know what happened? Eve gave birth to a son named Seth. 
And Seth's son, her grandson, is a, is a boy by the name of Enosh. And the Bible tells us over there in Genesis chapter 4 that Enosh began this process of where it would be known that men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so as much as we kind of associate Eve with this bad decision, and it was, Eve also made good decisions. And just as there are consequences to bad decisions, moms, there's consequences to good decisions. And when, and when you make uh, good decisions and you do the right thing, there's fruit to come of that too. And Eve shows us of that. We think a little further in Genesis, we think of Sarah and we think of Abraham. And we think about the great promise of God that, that out of Abraham, Abraham, a man who had no children, that God was going to bring forth a great nation. And uh, here they are well into their years, way past the age of childbearing, and the Lord continues to give them this promise that they're going to have a son. And after he initially gives this promise to them, 25 years pass. You talk about waiting. And they're not getting any younger, right? And yet the Lord would visit them and once again refresh that promise to them that you're going to have a son. It's, you, you don't have to help me because they tried that, right? You don't have to help me. No, Sarah is going to give birth to your son, Abraham. And as she's in the other part of the tent and she's overhearing this conversation, Sarah laughs in her spirit like the thought, I don't know who these people are, but they think I'm giving birth to a kid. They're crazy. And so the Lord, in the beautiful sense of humor that he had, he says, hey, I'm going to come back next year and there's going to be this child born and I want you to name him Isaac, which means laughter. God has a sense of humor. And sure enough, a year passes and Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And Sarah's best known in Scripture for this little saying, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Moms, perhaps in the midst of a day, maybe you need to just close the door behind you and remember that verse, is there anything too hard for the Lord? What about Jochebed? Anybody got any friends named Jochebed? I'm guessing you probably don't. But Jochebed is an important mom in the Bible. And, and, and Jochebed gives us a little bit of insight into every child that's born today because Jochebed looked into her son's face and she said, this child is beautiful. Right, moms? No mom has ever had an ugly kid. Not one time. As a matter of fact, some versions say that she looked into the face of, of her child and knew he was a fine child. And Jochebed would give the name Moses to this child. And at the time that she had that child, Pharaoh had decreed that any Hebrew born was to be put to death. And you know, the sad thing about it is there were many Hebrew women that had children and, and did that, but not Jochebed. Jochebed knew that every child is a gift from God, a heritage of the Lord. And she protected this child, and for three months she hid this child. And when she could no longer hide that child anymore, you know what she did? Moms, she placed that child 
in, a, in, a, in, a, in an ark of salvation is what she made. She made a basket, just like the ark. She made a little ark, covered it in, in pitch and tar, waterproofed it, sealed it, just, just like the, the ark, just a picture of salvation, of God's atoning work. And she placed her son in it and said, God, I give him to you. And isn't it just like God that God would steer providentially that little ark into the care of Pharaoh's daughter and, and Pharaoh's daughter would need someone to nurse this child. And isn't it just like God that Moses' very mother would nurse him? Only God can write a story like that. Jochebed teaches moms that, that, that all your plans and all your, your dreams for your children at some point, you have to place them in the hands of God because you realize you're limited. God is not. Faith to trust God. Well, as we move on through Genesis and we get over there to 25, verse 20, chapter 25, we find Rebecca. And Rebecca's an interesting character. Rebecca's told that she's going to have twins and it's literally going to be two nations represented, represented in these two boys. And that they are literally struggling and fighting in the womb. And uh, a lot of a prophecy comes out of that with respect to the nations and things of that nature. And of course, uh, Rebecca teaches moms today uh, about a lot of things that maybe you don't need to do. Because Rebecca showed favoritism, which is never a good thing for parents to do. That usually work out very well. She deceived her husband. Uh, created a, a, a gorilla suit that you go hunt turkey with and she put it on uh, uh, her son and said, you're going to pretend to be uh, your older brother and you're going to trick your father who uh, can't see and he's going to bless you instead of him because you're my favorite. And that's really what happened. And of all those things that you need to avoid, there was one unique thing that Rebecca did that showed a lot of wisdom. When she felt these two children in her womb wrestling with each other, you know what she did? She sought the Lord for wisdom. And I know as a parent, and I know you know as a mom, you want your kids to behave. Can I get a witness? And you especially want them to behave when they're with other people. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the frustration so long as if you're going to somebody else's house, you're, you're going to do better. Well, when the behavior doesn't work out like we want it to be, moms, remember, make prayer be your first response for the wisdom and the direction and not our last resort. Uh, moving along, man, we were zipping through these. You did not think I had this in me. We move on in Genesis, and we get to Genesis 29, and we meet two more mothers, Rachel and Leah. And buddy, let me tell you, this is dysfunction junction. Boy, sisters, moms, and they all love the same guy. Sounds like a reality show, doesn't it? I'm sure A&E is dying to produce it. Wait a minute, we, we did that a few years ago, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Anyway, 
Both loved the same guy. And Jacob loves Rachel so much that he's willing to work for seven years to marry her. She must have been something else. And Laban, her father, was an interesting guy. Not the father-in-law most folks want to have. Deceives his future son-in-law by tricking him to believe that he is going to spend his honeymoon with Rachel. And I don't know how they pulled this off, but somehow they did. He ends up waking up the next day and realizing that his honeymoon is with Leah and not Rachel. This is in there. I'm not making, it sounds like I'm making this up, but this is is in there. And and now now he's got to work seven more years. And he's going to leave with both of them. Because Laban's like, none of these girls are staying with me. They're going with you, buddy. And man, can you imagine? I mean, could anybody saw that anything would go wrong being married to two sisters with a dad like that? Well, they're sisters, they're mothers, they love the same person, and uh, uh, they, they, they're trying to outdo each other with who can have the most kids, and, and uh, Leah has more kids, but Jacob loves Rachel more. As a matter of fact, Scripture indicates that Rachel looks a little better than Leah. I don't know what a sleepy or lazy eye looks like, but it does say she had it and her sister didn't. And all of this is taking place, the back and the forth, and you know what happens? It is just drama every day. Trophies, their kids become trophies. Look at all I have. Look at all I have. Uh, Well, I got more kids than you. Well, you know what? I'll even give my servant to my husband, so maybe I'll have more kids. When I think of this scenario and I look at Scripture, I'm reminded that you can get so caught up in things that are trivial and don't matter that you can miss out on the things that do. Somewhere in all of that, the picture of being a godly mom was missed. Rachel tragically dies giving birth to Benjamin. This is just a sad story. And so many times... It's easy to get caught up in the codependent drama of family life. And there is nothing good that ever comes of that. Uh, kids make terrible trophies. I, I can remember a time in my life that I was helping to coach a, a softball team. Nothing worse than the parent in the bleachers that wants to live their life vicariously through their kid on the ball field. That is terrible. It just makes you want to lose your testimony just terrible and this is for a, a, a fake plastic gold little trophy in the, in the broad scheme of things it's nothing but, but they're trying to live their life so many times if we're not careful we, we look at our life and we say well you know I struggled with this I don't want my kid to struggle with that and I didn't get first I was runner up so I want them to get first place and you just pour all of your time and effort in trying to get your kids to fulfill the dreams that you didn't that's not parenting that's called idolatry and kids make terrible trophies 
parents' jobs, mom, your job is to nurture and to disciple and to pray and to move our, your children in a place where they would be receptive to the gospel. That's, that's, what, that's what children are given to us for. Not to, not to try to outdo someone. And just such a tragic picture of what happens when we do things our way. We get into 1 Samuel and there's Hannah. Hannah wants a child desperately. Hannah, Hannah, Hannah teaches us the importance of, of, of praying and seeking God and asking God for what you need. And God answered that prayer and gave to Hannah that son that she had prayed for in Samuel. And out of her gratitude and her love and reverence for Jesus, for God, she gave Samuel unto the Lord. I'll give him back. And there's an amazing aspect to her faith because she's, a, she's giving her son Samuel over to the priest who is Eli who's not been the best father. As a matter of fact, uh, Hophni and Phinehas are, are awful sons. They, they, they have no respect for their father, no respect for God. And yet, Hannah says, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm giving my son over to be ser a servant unto you. And despite all of that, Samuel grew up to be a great man of God. There's something to be said for moms who just have a heart of gratitude and love and reference for the Lord, reverence for the Lord, to trust God. More about trusting the God, there's a, a beautiful picture of this in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you want to turn there with me. I won't tarry here long because uh, we're going to move on, but there is such beautiful lessons in 1 Kings 17 about this widow in this little town known as Zarephath. There's a famine in the land, no rain, there's a drought, no food. We understand that in, a, in an agricultural setting. We understand that, that when you put it in the ground, you're going to have to get some water on it or it won't grow. And if, there, and if there's no harvest, there's, you know, it affects so many people. And in biblical times, much of the traveling that took place was from a, a place that was, that was in severe drought or a famine to, to go to a place where there was food. And that drove so much of the migration in the day in which they lived. And in this ancient world, Elijah is aware of this. As a matter of fact, the reason there's such a drought in the land is because there's such disobedience in the land. And Elijah, he's staying at a brook and, and God is providing, God's bringing the ravens uh, to, be, to be the modern day DoorDash back then to bring him food at the brook that's drying up. Nothing's too hard for God. And he tells uh, Elijah, he says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Zarephath there in verse 9. And he says, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Man, let me tell you, if you're a widow in the ancient world, that's not a good place to be. Widows aren't to be providing for others. Others are supposed to be providing for widows. And Elijah it says that he rose and he went there to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city there in verse 10, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And she was going to get it. 
And then he called to her again and he said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your, in your hand. And then she said, Stop, if you will. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And see that I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Dire situation, isn't it? In other words, this, this widow is, is she's on the, she's at the end. This is all we have left. There's no food in the land, and I don't know what else to do. We're going to go in here, we're going to prepare this cake, and at some point, I'm going to die. We're likely to die. We're likely to perish. And listen to what Elijah says. He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. It kind of it reminds me in that picture of how the Lord calls us to be faithful in our giving and our tithing and first fruits. Whatever it is that we have all belongs to the Lord anyway. And, and he's saying, you know, Elijah's saying, I, I understand that's all you got, but you know what, if you'll bring a little of that, just an offering to me, he says, it won't run out. What a choice. Moms, what a choice to be in. I mean, this is all I got. Can I be faithful in the midst of what I know to be certain? But can I, can I take this extraordinary step of faith here and be obedient to offer this to Elijah, who I know is God's man? Well, she does it. She does it. And the Bible says... In verse 15, she went away, she did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of the flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. Something to be said for just obeying the word of God. Moms, just to obey the word of God, and no matter how bleak or hopeless the situation may be, to trust in the word of God. Well, moving along, we're in Ruth now. In Ruth we find two women by the name of Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi has tragically lost her sons, and to be honest with you, she's a little on the bitter side. Life's not worked out the way she wanted it, and she just basically tells Ruth, look, I'm, I, I got no reason to be here. Again, there's a famine in the land, and you need... You know, you need to go do your thing and I'll go do my thing. I don't want to weigh you down, et cetera, et cetera. And she says to Naomi, she says, no. She says, where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it so severely, even if even death separates you and me. And it's interesting when we follow the story there in Ruth, Naomi takes an occasion, being a widow, very sad situation. You know what? Naomi makes a choice as, as a mom to, to, to make a decision. She says, you know, I could sit here and say that I don't have a lot to live for. But she says, you know, there's this girl here named Ruth that I can have an amazing impact on. And you know what? She chooses to do that. 
not only does Naomi kind of help her navigate the situation, she teaches her how to work and even to catch the eye of a guy named Boaz. She's saying, back in my day, this is how we did it. Hey, she says, she says go clean up. Smelling good is always a good thing, boys. Boys. If you're between the 4th and the 8th grade, boys, you need to hear me. Smelling good is a great thing. Cleanliness is next to godliness, says the Lord. Do not forget it, especially when we start vacation Bible school. (laughs) Naomi nurtures and she is a great influence on Ruth. She helps her. In a sense, she is fulfilling that New Testament call to older women, more seasoned women of God, to teach the younger women. That's what she was doing. And Ruth marries Boaz. He becomes her kinsman redeemer. They have a son named Obed. And of course, Obed is is in that beginning of the lineage of David and ultimately the generations later that would lead to Jesus. Wow. Wow. Nobody writes a story like the Lord. Well, we get to the New Testament. There's Elizabeth. You know, she thinks she's never going to have a child. And, and uh, Zacharias is told that she will. And he doesn't necessarily believe it, so he can't talk for a few months. And uh, Elizabeth, upon understanding she, she is pregnant, she praises the Lord and and she says, Lord, it's you. You've shown grace and favor to me. You've taken away my disgrace. And, and, and she gives birth to a, a son named John. And in Scripture, he's known as John the Immerser. That's literally what the Greek means. The dunker, the baptizer. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, his relative. And there's Mary, young Mary. Poor girl living in a... In a, in, a, in a world that's being ruled by, by, by the Roman government, oppressed, and yet it is God who chooses Mary to be the earthly mother of the Messiah. And, and what does she say? Be it unto me. I'm your servant, Lord. What about Lydia? Lydia there in Acts chapter 16. Lydia is actually, she's literally the Proverbs 31 woman that she is a seller of purple. Doing well? Uh, I'm assuming she's a mom because her whole household has been baptized. What a beautiful picture here of a woman who knows the gospel, shares the gospel, nurturing and leading her family. To faith in Jesus. What, a, what a, a, a unique and important role she has in that young New Testament church that comes off the pages there in Acts chapter 16. Her faith is enthusiastic, propelling people forward and a part of the kingdom of God, praying for her children and remembering the powerful influence that God has on our children. Moms, there is a lot of beautiful, sound wisdom from those 13 moms 
that I just shared. Some don't want to do that. Need to stay away from that. But a lot of that is, this is good. Need to be reminded of this. But there's one final mother, one final godly mom that I want to talk to you about briefly. And moms, that is you. That is you, Liberty Moms. That's you. You are doing a great work. People tell me all the time, Brother Steve, I'm just amazed at how many kids you have. Aren't you grateful? Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all these children. But you know, I'm grateful for the moms at this church that are raising and rearing those children. I'm thankful for the moms at this church that are praying for those kids and teaching those kids and are nurturing and, and, and doing what is required to raise children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so many times, Liberty Church mom, you are your biggest critic and you shouldn't be. You look around and you think, well, they've got it together. I can assure you they don't. You need to look in the mirror and understand you're doing God's work. You're doing a godly work, a great work, a needed work. And it is showing up and it is paying forth fruit daily in this church. Liberty Mom, you're awesome. You're doing a fantastic job and I am so grateful and I am so thankful for you. Stop beating yourself up. Husbands, they, give them the pat on the back, man. Give them what they need. Support them. You're doing a great, great work. Our, the, the church, the ministry, this community would not be what it is without your work. It wouldn't. You're doing an amazing work, an awesome work for God. Keep doing it. We're blessed to call you our wives. Scripture asks in that same proverb there, Proverbs 31, the question, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies, the heart of her husband safely trust her. A woman who fears the Lord, that woman shall be praised. I'm praising you today. I'm praising you, Liberty Church mom, because you're doing a great and awesome work for the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example of Scripture. Lord, it is our go-to. It is, uh, Lord, our guide. It is our instructions for life, for righteousness, Lord. I pray this morning, God, that we would uh, take what has been shared in the Word, that, Lord, we would apply it to our lives, and that, God, you'd be glorified in what we do. Lord, again, I just want to praise you this morning for godly moms. We baptized Adeline this morning. That's a testimony to good parents, parents that love you and want to see their children come to know you in faith. Thank you for that. Thank you for that picture. Thank you for the two that, that we'll baptize next week that are a result of the same thing. Mom, Dad, 
wanting to see their children come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray this morning, Lord, that where, wherever they're discouraged or whatever it is that they're lacking, God, give them, our moms, the assurance of knowing that, Lord, you are able to meet every need and to abundantly supply and fulfill whatever it is they stand in need of. We love you. We thank you and praise you again for moms. Bless them in a great way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's